Welcome to Awakenings Movement Podcast. Awakenings Movement is a community where dreamers become believers and believers become doers. that you guys are here. I, I often say this and I really, I repeat it because I mean it. Thank you so much for organizing your lives to be here. Uh, we don't take your presence for granted. Um, and if you don't come, then we're pretty much talking to an empty room. So you, you all are integral to um, why we do what we do. So I just really appreciate you all for being here. So thank y'all so much. Am I in the way? A little bit. Um, look, am I in the way? <laughs> I'm always in the way. My belly was the blessing. I could, I could probably project the whole sermon, like, right here. And y'all will have no problem reading it, because it's huge. Um, speaking of which, guys, I have two weeks left. Thirty-three for the tray. Thirty-three for the tray. Thirty-three for my Lord. He got crucified when he was thirty-three. I'm just gonna give birth at thirty-three. It's not the same thing. He changed the world, huh? Oh, Tracy, don't tell me that. I got you. I got me a good one. I got me a good one. So I want you to know, this may be my last truth communication before I go home eternally. At the beginning, I'm like, okay, um, just let us all cry. So anyway, there may be some tears, just bypass them. Um, but so I have been thinking a lot about motherhood, you know, and uh, thinking a lot about Jesus, wanting to raise a child just like Jesus, you know, <laughs> sinless, courageous, perfect in every way, you know, under the radar for the most part. Um, obedient, you know, and so I kind of started to explore um, Jesus's relationship with Mary. Um, hey, Jason, all these people coming in here so svelte, Jason, Osaki, y'all, I'm telling y'all, y'all are just so svelte, um, but I wanted to explore Jesus's relationship with Mary because, you know, you know, the Protestant or the, the non-Catholic um, practice of Christianity really kind of stays away from Mary, you know, in terms of being this, um, this other deity. But, you know, Catholics love Mary. Who, anybody here raised Catholic or have Catholic family members? If you, know, if you have anybody from Louisiana, you, your family was at a, some kind of mass. It was a soulful mass or it was like a straight-up mass. Um, but my, my family is all Louisiana, so it was Catholic mass and then just like gumbo afterwards. And so... Anyway, they love Mary. They believe that Mary um, was sinless. They believe that her purity uh, elevated her to sainthood. They believe that she was this wonderful mother, this intercessor. They believe they can pray to Mary, the patron, now, and she will go to her son and ask on your behalf. One lady from New Orleans said, baby, you pray to Mary because Jesus is not going to tell his mama no. <laughs> I was like, I am not going to manipulate Mary's relationship with Jesus. 
to get what I want. Baby, just, he ain't gonna tell his mama no, so just ask her what you want. <laughs> That's exactly what she told me. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if it works like that. Um, but you know, as I, as I did some more research, and we'll walk through some of the um, elements of the stories, um, but Mary's relationship with Jesus was a little more complex. Mary, Mary was a great mom. Catholics, I'm not, I'm not disputing Mary. I'm not tearing down the shrine of the Madonna. Um, but their relationship was complicated. Their relationship was complex. Their relationship was the typical mother-child relationship, you know? Uh, so let's walk through some scriptures. Um, and again, scripture is an account of God's reputation with humanity. It is not a rule book for us to wage how horrible we are against it, right? It's not, a, a, it's not a, a list of things that we need to do and be and how we fall short. It is evidence of God's reputation so that we can apply that evidence to our daily decisions, okay? So let's look at scripture like that today and not like, oh Lord, I'm not like Mary. I'm so far behind Mary because I feel that way. Okay. Um, he's shown, so, so this, is, this is a song that Mary wrote. It's called the Magnificat. And it is literally Mary's response to being told by an angel that she's going to bear um, a child, um, having never had been with a man, that she's going to bear a child, and that child's going to become, you know, Jesus, okay? So this is her response to that. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. So how does it sound? What does Mary generally sound like? Y'all not like for you to talk back to me. So what is Mary's general attitude here? Yes, Tashi. She's excited. You're absolutely right. Very excited. What else? Proud? Mm-hmm. Probably nervous. Nervous, okay. Anybody else? He's providing. Excited, proud. He's providing. Ner a little nervous. But Mary's attitude is generally positive right here, right? Yeah. It seems like she's like, oh, okay. We about to do this, okay? He about to, he about to uh, help the people that's hungry with the good things. Because keep in mind, Mary was poor. Mary was not an elite. She was very much an outsider. She was not an elite member of society. Mary was not a Kardashian or a Hilton. You know, Mary was like a Jenkins. She was like just regular. You know what I'm saying? A Johnson. She was regular. Um, and so, um, so she was excited to hear about this news. And this is what the angel said to her. These, these are the parameters that the angel set for her. Let's read them together. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you can conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign So if an angel came down to you and told you this about Dominique, about Marley, what would you do? What would you say? She'd be like, you sure right. About, about Abigail, Anna, 
She'd be like, that's right. And it'd be time to like turn up. Like you'd be like, oh shoot, no end? Oh yes. Finally, I'm Cece Peniston. It has happened to me right in front of my face. I just cannot hide it. Um, <laughs> and so Mary, of course, responded with this, this wonderful Magnificat. You know, my soul magnifies the Lord. And he looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Great things, you know. So this, this beginning really sets Mary up to really believe that she can have this sense of positive expectancy. What is expectancy? Marlon talked about this last week. And he said, like, out of all the amazing things that he said last week about we keep what we need to lose and we lose what we need to keep and who we need. Oh, that sermon literally gave me wings, right? He did say one thing, though, about expectancy versus expectations. And it struck a chord in me. Did anybody hear him say that? Kind of how expectancy versus expectations are different. Expectancy is generally expecting good things, but expectations is like locking in on one thing that needs to happen. So I wanted to walk through that today because I feel like Mary had an option at the point of realizing that she was about to bear a son for God, like God is her baby daddy. Um, God is all of our baby daddies, really. And so um, I feel like Mary had a choice to operate either in this attitude of expectancy or in this attitude of having concrete expectations. And I don't blame her because the, the, the angel gave her some very specific things to expect. You know, never ending throne. That sounds like a never ending bank account to me. That sounds great to me. Never ending throne, David's throne. That sounds like respect, money, power, respect, all you need in life, you know? <laughs> You know, I, I'm very hip-hop today. I'm very, I'm very 90s R&B and hip-hop today. It's my era. Um, but, you know, it, it, it really set her up to have some, like, markers and some rubrics, you know. Um, but Mary came and said, I, my hope is in the Lord, you know. I think that he'll do great things. I think that he'll give the hungry good things. She did not respond completely echoing what the angel said. So she had literally was standing at a crossroads. So let's talk about the difference between expectancy versus expectations, okay? So expectancy. This is Miriam Webster. This is not Danielle Fanfare. This is Miriam Webster. I like to use a dictionary. Um, let's start with the definition. Ready? Go. The state of thinking or hoping that something, especially something pleasant, will happen. They waited with an air of expectancy. Okay, so we understand that expectancy is more of a, an attitude. It's a perspective. It's a paradigm. It is not a concrete list of things, right? So let's look at expectation. I, love, I have three definitions of expectation because I just love this. Let's read number one. Go. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Okay. Number two. Okay, number three. What, what, as, so all the parents in the room, do, do, do you live in a state of expectancy for your children or expectation? <laughs> I believe that you will go to school. I believe that you will get good grades. And I believe that you will be able to support yourself and not be asking me for money, you know. Expectations, okay. 
Okay, so then my question is, how do we shift to this perspective of expectancy? And I want to explore, again, some of the dialogues and some of the experiences that Mary had with Jesus. This, you know, this, this, this picture of um, the perfect mother-son relationship. You know, Mary was at the um, wedding, and, you know, Mary was at the cross, and Mary was here. But let's look at some of the places in between, like, the manger and the cross, you know? Yes, ma'am. Why you, <laughs> you have your hand up, your daughter is pulling it down, so I'm, this is juicy. And you know, I want to say too that this, these themes of expectancy versus expectation are not limited to motherhood. Just because I'm standing here with a big old bump thinking about my life doesn't mean that you're exempt if you are not expecting a child in less than three weeks, you know. So expectancy versus expectation can come out with your relationship with your spouse, with your relationship with your parents as you navigate what it's like to be in connection with them as an adult. Uh, expectancy versus expectation can come out in relationship to your your work environment and your job. These things go uncommunicated and then conflict ensues because one person was living with expectancy and the other person had concrete things that they thought you were going to do and they never told you about it or you never told them about it, you know? Um, and so this theme is universal. So I don't want anybody to exempt themselves with like, like this sermon ain't for me because I'm not about to have a baby no time soon, I don't think so. You know, those I said I don't think because you know, you never know. Um, so look, so this is um, when Jesus is about 12 years old and they go to this, um, they go to this, this festival, this, this Passover festival and um, they're caravanning back with a bunch of family and friends and uh, Jesus at 12 decides that he's gonna just hang back at the temple, like didn't tell nobody, don't say nothing. Um, so, so Ella, this is Dominique deciding that on the way back from the beach, he gonna just stay. He gonna just hang out and not tell you nothing. Um, <laughs> Michelle, this is Tosh, this is Tosh saying, ah, I'm not gonna ride home with my parents. I'm just gonna, you know, hang out at Whole Foods for the rest of the day, <laughs> you know? And now, <laughs> right. You see your expectations, okay, see, see, ooh, these expectations are so ingrained. Um, the next day they found him in the temple seated among the teachers, so he was missing for 24 hours. Can you imagine your child being missing for 24 hours, like 12 or not, like that's not okay. Um, uh, they found him in the temple seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers, but his parents were not impressed, they were what? So he's in there just like blowing minds of like the biblical scholars of the time. And Mary coming there like, uh-uh, uh-uh, shut all this down. I don't care, I don't care if y'all doing physics, calculus, I don't care if y'all in the future. Come on, uh-uh, come on, come on out, come on out. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, <laughs> put yourself in the, in the position of Mary right now. CJ, can you read? Can you read what he said, please, in, in your own words, in your own voice? Why were you 
But what they had what? Now, Mary, where your song, Mary? What happened to, to, to the Magnificat? What happened to the angel? What happened to the I understand? This is about to go down. Jesus is about to become the king of kings. I guess Mary's expectations was that not at 12, maybe like at like, I don't know, 35, 40, he was going to you know, transition to king at some point. But her 12-year-old son was going to be at the crib with her doing what she said, right? Um, and I, I just think it's interesting that she said, young man, why have you done this to us? Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Why have you done this to me? I love that. So, dude. But like Mary completely bypasses that her son is like doing what she would really want him to do in the temple, right? Like you want your kid to like ask questions and probe and impress the teachers. But let me know first. Yeah, mom, mom can I? Not mom, I'm about to. Yeah. Mhm. Mm mhm. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Mariella. <laughs> so the question that I, I I developed that I have as a mother is how can we live with expectancy that God will do what He said without certain expectations for how He'll do it? I don't have an answer to that. It's just a question. And we'll explore some possible responses to it, but let's move on to the, to the next um, interaction. So this is in, at this wedding in Canaan. Jesus decides to go to a wedding with his mama. You know, he's older now, which is rare for like a young man to like go hang out with his mama, except for in, Michelle, in Michelle's case. She said her sons are going to always be so cool. They hang out with their mama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine, at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Right. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. <laughs> and she went ahead and said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. He going to do it. He going he gonna to make this wine, you know. She she, she she voluntold. I was like, you don't make me go into labor on this on this rug. Please explain voluntold. Has anybody been voluntold by their parents? <laughs> My mama has voluntold me to baptize people that I don't know. <laughs> Manaya, pay the man. Out of your own money. So six stoneware pots were th there, used by the Jews for ritual washing. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants to fill these pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, and they did. Um, he had his disciples. So, yeah, he was in his, like, late 20s, early 30s. It, wasn't it was, like, early in Luke. Yeah, so he was over 21. He was drinking and wine-making age. Um, he was legal. Yeah, maybe that's... Yeah. 
And so um, the scripture goes on to say his, all his disciples believed. That was his first recorded miracle, but everybody around him believed. And this is an ex example and evidence that Mary believed to, to the point where she believed that Jesus could do it beyond his willingness to do it. He was like, I'm not ready. I'm not, come on, it's not time for that. I'm still chilling. It's like, you know. Um, and so now we're in this weird dynamic where first Mary was mad at Jesus for going and being this like scholar, but scaring the daylights out of her by not telling her. But now she's on board and she's reaping the benefits of his gifts, you know, because if Jesus can make more wine at the wedding and the, um, the, 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 whole, the whole wedding party was like, you saved the best for, people used to say the best for last, but you're pulling your good stuff out now. Like Jesus made some good wine, you know. Um, so now Mary's on board with the gifts, right? He's, she's on board with what the angel told her. She's like, this is that kind of King David stuff. This is like what I'm talking about, you know? And so then it's like, how do we maintain a flexible attitude of expectancy when the plan does have direct benefits, you know? Like, how do we not use how we know God is working, how the evidence is showing up in our lives? How do we not use that to create expectations? Okay, this house is going to be from now on. You know, I got that blank, that blank, and that blank. So every month now, I'm going to get a blank, a blank, and a blank. Right, God? Okay? We're finally out of the other stuff. Now we just on to the, just we're smooth sailing for now. So how do we maintain this flexible attitude of expectancy when the plan has direct benefits? Well, okay. Just lock that in. So this is the, the last kind of interaction that I want to explore. Um, this is found later on in... Um, in John. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him. This is Jesus's <coughs> teaching and blessing and healing career has really taken off. And uh, he's now starting to gather big crowds. Then his mother and brother came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered to them, what did he say? So let's interpret this. What is Jesus saying? Do they? Okay. What else? Who else? Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, theologians and... Um, Commentary writers say that at this point in Jesus' career, his brothers and his family begged him to stop. They thought that he was a lunatic. They thought that he was out of his mind. They thought that he, um, the things that he was saying and doing and the things that he said were possible, the things that he said would happen, they thought were evidence of mental illness, and they rejected him. Um, his family was not in support of uh, what he was doing to the point that the Roman government started to put pressure on them to stop him. And so they were not only afraid of how it would look to the community for him to continue to do what he was doing, but they were also afraid of their own personal consequences, their own safety, um, their own images. Um, so at this point in Jesus' relationship, they couldn't get in 
because they had stopped supporting his ministry. They had stopped, um, the wine had stopped flowing <laughs> and they had um, decided um, to, to not live in this, this space of expectancy because their expectations of his goodness and his glory and his um, popularity, <laughs> their expectations of that had, had changed. So this leaves me with to another question. How do we persevere in expectancy when the plan has us looking and feeling foolish? Right? How do we continue to maintain this attitude of expectancy when what we are experiencing that looks like uh, us making poor decisions, that looks like us being in a relationship with somebody that's not immediately rewarding us, that it looks like we're letting our uh, children do things that are not the best for them. When, how do we persevere in expectancy when the plan has us looking and fooling, feeling foolish? Um, let me just tell y'all that I'm obsessed. Of course y'all know I get obsessed, but I'm obsessed with Ahmed Muhammad. Like, do y'all know that story? The little clockmaker. I'm obsessed with Ahmed because I see Tashi in Ahmed. I see Dorian. I see Dominique. Tashi looks like a little Sudanese prince right now. Like he looks like he looks like he is an exchange student. You know what I mean? From some coastal African continent. Like you know, and and it's and CJ. I mean. These boys are sharp. They are, I mean, I could imagine Dominique building something with Legos and showing it to his teacher like, hey, I built this. You know what I'm saying? And the, and, and, and the teacher freaking out, you know what I mean? I, I, I immediately went to all the little boys, not the little boys, the young, the youth, the students, they're not little boys, even though I've known them since they were little boys. That's so weird. Um, and so this, this hashtag um, is something that I've just been clicking on here and there because I've been learning so much from this story and from this family. So, so he went from this, right? Which is um, this ironic image of a little boy in handcuffs wearing a NASA shirt for his invention, you know? And, you know, we, we can talk all day about the conspiracies around the fact that they knew it was not a bomb. There was no bomb protocol taken at the school. Like, they looked at him, they looked at that clock and they decided to act on some other realities, not the fact that it was a bomb, okay. So he goes from this to this. <laughs> what time is it? Ahmed, let us know, brother. Uh, Questlove. Questlove Instagram this. You see the time I, I screenshotted it was this morning. I was like, oh, come on now. So this dude is starting to get like so much support. <laughs> that is ridiculous. How did they? How did they get that face to Photoshop on that body? The internet. I love the internet. Oh, internet give me so much joy. Um, but dude, like, let me show y'all this. The, um, I went on CNN Money and a money.cnn and like, so, like, this is just some of the stuff that, oh, sorry. Sorry, no. Yeah, okay. 
So like Foursquare, the Foursquare owner decided that he wanted to offer, um, why does my internet do this to me? I just said I loved you, internets. Okay, there we go. Um, the, the owner of Foursquare said um, they tweeted their support um, and reminded him to never stop inventing the future. Um, they had, uh, MIT had a day where they invited all their students to make a clock, and it was like Ahmed clock day or whatever. Um, they tweeted, uh, I stand with Ahmed because we love to make things too, never stop inventing the future. Um, the, the owner of Reddit uh, said, how do I get in touch with Ahmed? I want to introduce him to some friends in science and possibly an internship. You know what I'm saying? Um, Autodesk, the CEO of this, this uh, software company called Autodesk, they invited him to come hang out and we'll make something new together. This boy is 14, so college is right around the corner. At MIT, speaking of college, um, they said that um, they, they want, you're the kind of student that we want at places like MIT and Harvard. Um, the president, yeah, I'm getting to that, but he, um, and that's on another article, but um, the president invited, I know, looks like Ahmed needed a new NASA shirt. I can give him one of mine that flew in space. How cool is that? <laughs> President Obama invited Ahmed to the White House and like, um, uh, not like in the future, but like a, they set a date and uh, President Obama tweeted to Ahmed like, hey man, keep inventing, like don't let, the, don't let that stuff get you down. Um, so you can just go on and on and on. Um, he even got a scholarship offer from the International Business School at the New European College. <laughs> R&B artist Neo tweeted that Muhammad should let him know if he wants to get into the music business. So, again, that, 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 that time, what time is it, album cover, might be in young Ahmed's future, right? And so, dude, like, I read in the Dallas Morning News, Ahmed's daddy was like, I'm not surprised. He was like, my son fixes my car. My son fixes my microwave, he fixes my TV. He was like, I'm not surprised. Now, I'm sure at home, he was like, son, don't take, come on now. You, you know, you know what it is. You know, don't, let's talk about it before you take something else. But you know, in the, in the, at the end of the Dallas Morning News article, I meant that he would never take an invention to school again. He was so discouraged by the treatment that he received. And I have heard no public apology from the school district, no public apology from the principal. He's suspended, he's considering transferring. They sent a letter. Again, we can talk all day about that because that just incenses me. But every time I see the Muhammad family online, every time I have seen them in interviews, every time I have seen them in any kind of public speaking, they have been positive, they have been respectful, they have been proud, and they have been hopeful. Even Muhammad being interrogated for three, four hours without being able to see his parents, he answered their questions. Youth, he answered his, their questions, and do you know why? Because he knew that his parents would come and advocate for him, and he didn't have to wild out. And It is illegal. He, I'm, sure, I'm sure he didn't know that. And you know, the thing is, he, the, the school district didn't say what they can't say, which is that Ahmad became violent, he became attitudinal, he became, you know, uh, disrespectful, he became aggressive. He was none of those things. And he was right. 
You understand what I'm saying? And I was talking to Jerry Davis, city council member Jerry Davis, and he said, you can be right and you can be dead. You can be right and in jail. There's a right way to be right. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, so he was right, but he stayed respectful. He stayed positive. He stayed proud. And he stayed hopeful. And so I just think that we can learn so much from this 14-year-old boy who literally was just thinking, man, I think my teachers would really appreciate or really be impressed with like what I can do. Could you imagine? I mean, think about yourself in ninth grade. You know, ninth grade, I look like two capital L's, just legs and feet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I was negotiating myself for how to be popular and valuable at school, you know? Um, so I can completely understand it. Now what I want to do is go back to what Mary, so Mary's response when she was told um, that she would be given this honor of carrying Jesus, Mary's response at the end of all that, at the end of the Magnificat, at the end of her wonderful praise song, Mary said this to the angel. And let's read it together. Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. That was Mary's response at the end of that whole dialogue. And the angel left her. The angel was like, good. I'm, I'm, glad, we're, I'm glad we're on the same page. Bless you. Hmm? This is the end of the conversation with the angel. This is, yeah, this is like as she's being made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, this is way before the temple, way before the wine, way before the, uh, you know, way before it all started going down. This is when she was just becoming like newly pregnant. This is probably, you know, 12 weeks. <laughs> um, and so Mary said, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid. I'm ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And so I think that Mary's initial response um, is what she should hold to in terms of living in this space of expectancy. And I think that Mary's response is what we can hold to if we want to move beyond expectations into this general expectancy. And so from this response, I think we can do three things. I think we can remember God's promise. She said, I see it all now. I see it all now. I see God's promise. I see what he's giving me to do. I see the end result, that he's going to be king of kings, Lord of lords. I see he's going to help a lot of people. Okay, I see it. So we should remember God's promise. The next thing she said is that I am the Lord's maid. I am his servant. I'm ready to serve. And so she needs to remember, and we should remember who we are. Like, dude, okay, this is, these are the nuts and bolts of serving God. This hard stuff, this embarrassing stuff, this risky stuff, this is how we work out our faith. This is how we express who we are. Not when it's easy. Not when everybody's polite and kind and happy with what we're doing. It's in those dialogues where we have to really explain that we understand God's vision and the present circumstances and God's vision may not align, but we know how it's going to end. So we're going to remain calm. We're going to remain poised. We're not going to lose it because we know how it ends up, right? And then she said, I'm, let it be with me just as you say. So what if we said that and we remained open to God's plan, even in the midst of those hard conversations, even in the midst of things not going the way that we think they should go, even in the midst of almost looking, and not even almost, looking like, 
the foolish supporter that should have walked away a long time ago. And we know what situations we're talking about. What if we remain open to God's plan? What if we say, and let's say this again, what if we say what Mary said? Let's read it one more time. Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid or manservant, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. What if we put that on our like mirror in the morning or like on the dashboard of our car? What if we like made that our wallpaper on our phones? What if we made this an integral part of our communication culture? Like, okay, this may be a part of it being with me just as God says. This may be me kind of working out the character development that's going to push me into the destiny that God has for me. If God has this will for me to prosper me and to grow me, this may be the experience that I need to do what I need to do with how he prospers and grows me. What if we changed our minds to not make a list of how our expectations are not being met? What if we changed our minds to remain in expectancy, believing, like the definition says, believing that something good, something pleasant will happen or be the case? Like no matter what is going on, I'm in this state of believing and thinking and hoping something good, something pleasant is going to come out of this. So I'm going to conduct myself in a way that attracts pleasantries so that I can see this happening. I'm going to let my interior conversation and I'm going to let my exterior dialogue be pleasant so that I can attract the pleasant thing that God has already told me is going to happen because of this. Right? This is not how we're programmed. This is not how we're taught. This is not how we think all the time. But I believe if we experiment with this today, and if we experiment with this for maybe the next seven days, I believe that we will have some different experiences. I believe that we'll be able, like Muhammad's parents, not to be like, why did you bring that to school in the first place? But to be instead like, I'm proud of my son. These, this experience illuminates what I already know about him. You know? And you can deal with the things that could have happened differently on your own, in private. But in public, those Muhammad's are like, yo, our son is the lick. He is the bomb. Not the kind of bomb you think he is, but he really is. <laughs> and so I'm just so excited and so, um, and so appreciative to be able to make a choice to live in expectancy, because what's the difference, you guys, between counting your expectations, what's been met and what's not, and living in expectation, in expectancy? Like, tell me, like, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One sounds so heavy and one sounds so light. Cutting God short. And then look at the, the definition of expectations. All the little, um, the little examples are so negative. Reality had not lived up to expectations. Students had high expectations. Her expectations were unrealistic and archaic, you know? And so 
there's even a negative connotation that rides that word of expectations. We're constantly calculating and we're not living. We're constantly telling people what their expectation average is and we're not doing life with them. Who, who do you want to live with? The person that's constantly calculating how you meet their expectations or the person that's just riding through life in a joyful spirit of expectancy? Who do you want to live with? You know? So who do you want to be? 